Uh, we're grateful to have him with us this morning. Give your attention to Alec as he brings the word of God to us. Alec, brother, come and preach. All right, so first I want to thank the elders here for allowing me for this opportunity to preach to you guys. And uh, I want to thank you guys for obviously attending and hearing me. Uh, so I want to invite you guys, let's turn to John 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 38 to 44. I'm going to read that right now. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone, a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they, so they took the stone away. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Then he had, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, it is your day. And, uh, and Lord, I pray specifically that, that you increase and that, Lord, that I decrease, that you are remembered, your words are remembered, and my words are forgotten. And Lord, I pray that the saints are edified, that sinners are saved by the power of your word being preached. And I pray that your spirit is moved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so to, I thought it would be fitting to provide an, like an introduction, as an introduction, uh, to context of what's, what's been going on uh, throughout all of John. Uh, all of John, he gives us seven signs. And the one we just read, uh, what we're going to look at today, is the seventh one. It's the final one. It's the concluding sign. And uh, so the seven signs that John uh, writes and gives us um, is when, Je- when Jesus turns the water into wine. Uh, he heals the royal, royal officer's son. He heals the paralytic. He feeds the 5,000, uh, walks on water. He heals blind, the blind man. And then the final one is that he raises Lazarus from the dead. John gives us the whole purpose of why he wants these signs, because at the end he says there's a lot more signs. Jesus just didn't do seven signs. He did a lot more. And this, I write these specifically to tell you and to push you and to have you believe that he is the Son of God and he is the Christ. So have, let's have that in mind as we look at this final sign of Christ. That's what I want, that's what I want us to do. So first we're going to look at the very first verse. It says, I'm going to read it again. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. So here in this verse, we see there's an obvious villain that is described here. Something has angered Christ to the point that he, ha- he now has his focus on an enemy. And so like, like through the anger of Christ, we see that there, that there is now an enemy that has been portrayed. What is this? Like, like, what, what is this possible cause of anger? And uh, I think it's two things. One, the effects of sin, like we learned last week. That, 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 that we earlier, it says that he is de- Jesus is deeply moved. And we learned that that, that is, means that he has more uh, connotation of like he's deeply moved with anger. He's moved by anger. And uh, so, so the effects of sin that he sees in Lazarus. He sees sin's end, which is death. 
That's the wages of sin is death. So he sees that. But not only that, he sees sin carried out still around him. Look at verse 37, just before this. There's Jews that said, they saw Jesus weeping, and they're like, look how much Jesus loved Lazarus. There's some of them that also said, couldn't this man who healed blind men kept this man from dying? Like, like, couldn't that happen? And their sin of unbelief is so blatant. So blatant in front of Jesus. And I think that is and also, and also another thing that has stirred up his anger. He's moved with anger. He sees the effects of sin, and he sees sin itself right there. So think of how, like, I want us to think about how often you think Jesus was moved like this when he was on this earth. He came down here, his holy nature, he's God in the flesh. God hates sin. God hates sin. He can't stand it. He's holy. So he took on flesh and walked among a fallen creation, the fallen world, the fallen people. So think about how often he would have been moved, moved like this. Hebrews 12.3 says that he endured the hostility of sinners. Right now we see him enduring the hostility of sinners right here with their unbelief. But also on the cross. When he was on the cross, they also came to him and they're like, you said you're the Christ. Come down. Come down off the cross. And he endured all that every day. There's no doubt that he had that unbelief around. And uh, in Isaiah 53, 3, Isaiah names him as a man of sorrows. When he walked this earth, he was moved with that anger. He was moved because he was, he was engulfed in evil. There was evil on every side. And I believe that the, the, the fiery darts of Satan were fired at him with everything that Satan had right on every second that he breathed down here on this earth. So we see Christ's sinlessness surrounded by the fallen world's sinfulness. And then we see everything that's contrary to his holy nature would have moved Jesus in the same way. So Jesus, I believe that, 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 that he was constantly moved like this, but why? Like, why was he moved by sin? Why was he moved by death? And, that, and now we have to look at the evil plan of this villain. This villain of sin and death has an evil plan, and then the master behind it all is Satan. And what's his plan? We see that in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, like we read it today, <laughs> he caused man to fall. Why? Satan ultimately wants God's glory. They, uh, sin and death, they go against God's glory. So they want to steal God's glory. Sin, death, this world want to steal the glory of God. Jesus is angry because he is staring the, the glory thief of God right in the face. He sees death. He sees sin. He knows behind it, it's sin. So that's why he's angry. That's the villain. Now, as a side note, I want us to look at our own lives and see how, like, how often are you moved the same way Jesus is moved. Uh, because we claim to have the spirit that was within him alive in us. And he is alive in us, we're told. So how often are we moved when we see sin carried out? Not only in the world, outside of these walls, but inside of these walls, inside of us, every, every single one of us. How often are we moved to this anger against God not getting glory because the enemy is trying to steal it? How often? Like we, we have to really see and look in ourselves how often are we moved like this? Uh, in, in Romans 8.23, Paul says that believers, as, as believers, we ought to groan for our adoption and our redemption in Christ and the redemption of our bodies. We ought to yearn for that day, groan for that day. In Romans 7, Paul depicts the constant conflict that we ought to have within ourselves. 
He says, I know things that I should do, I don't do them. I know things I shouldn't do, and I do them. Why? Because he, he, he depicts this constant conflict between the sin nature that's still alive in him, but also the holy nature, this, that's the Holy Spirit, ma- making him alive continually by sanctification. And uh, so, like, how often do we feel this conflict? How often do you look into the world and, and are moved in such a way as Jesus was? But as we move on, we're going to move on to verses 39 to 42. And here in these verses, I'm going to read them here shortly, but we see Jesus identified as the hero. So we got the villain, and then now Jesus, Jesus is identified as the hero. So verses 39 to 42, he says, Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So here we see Jesus identify as a hero in two interactions. His first interaction with Martha and his interaction with the Father. With the interaction with Martha, we see that first, Martha's whole question in itself is almost like Martha is wondering why in the world does Jesus want to have that stone rolled away and have that grave open and to see that dead body. Because, and she reaffirms, like, Jesus, like, he's dead. He's going to be decaying. He's dead. It's been four days. Why do you want to see this? Not only that, but think about people around, the Jewish, the Jewish uh, thinking, way of thinking about the dead bodies and the uncleanness uh, of them. So, 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 so everyone, not just Martha now and Mary, but everyone around, like, why does he want to see this dead body? Like, what, is, what, what possibly can he do with this dead body? And, uh, you know, and, and also you have to think about Martha and what she was going through literally minutes. Probably while she was saying this, she's weeping still. There's still mourning happening. It was only four days ago that her brother died and he had to bury him there. So think about what she's going through. Now it's almost like Jesus, like, I don't want to see this. Behind that tomb, I wanted to forget about it. But now you want to open it back up. Like, what is going on? There's fear, there's tragedy, and then there's this uncomfortableness to, to where Martha is. But Jesus softly rebukes her, and he says, Did I not tell you to believe? This refers pers- uh, uh, back to the previous interaction that we see uh, between Martha and Jesus, when Jesus is saying that, I am the resurrection of life. And then, then he asks uh, Martha, Do you believe me? Do you believe this? And what does Martha say? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And Jesus is saying, did I not tell you to believe this? And you told me that you believed it. You told me this. So believe, believe, believe. It also points a little bit to uh, verse 4 when Jesus first hears about the illness of Lazarus. He wasn't dead at this point. He was ill. And then he says, this illness... Uh, uh, concerning Lazarus' uh, sickness, this illness will not leave unto, uh, lead unto death, but it will lead to the glory of God. So he says, believe, and you will see the glory of God. So, so that's what we have here. Believe, and you'll see that I am the hero. 
I'm the hero of this. I'm the hero that wants that stone rolled away. Believe who I am. You just said it. You believe I'm the resurrection and life. So believe that when I roll that stone away, you're going to see the glory of God. And then, then, then you see the glory of God. Let's take a deeper study into that. What does Jesus really, really mean when he says you'll see the glory of God? The glory of God is what Jesus came to manifest when, we walked, when, when he walked this earth. In uh, Hebrews 1.3, it says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And so, yes, Christ is calling Martha to believe exactly what she just professed in verse 27 and about being the Christ and the Son of God. But specifically here, Christ is telling Martha to believe and see the glory of God as Jesus being the giver of life. That is, that is where you see the glory of God manifested, and he is the giver of life. This is what Jesus wants to re- reveal and uh, when, he, when he wants the stone rolled away. And he wants to reaffirm what he just told Martha, as in, I am the resurrection and the life. So as a side note here, how many times do we often hear Jesus say, did I not tell you? He, tell, he told, tells Martha, did I not tell you, if you believed, you'll see the glory of God. How often are we told that? How often are, are, are we put in situations where that we forget who Jesus is? We forget that he is the resurre- res- resurrection and the life. And what he wants is to go into the tomb of the dead man and raise him because he is the resurrection and the life. How often do we forget that? How often do we forget that he is our Savior and all his promises will come to pass? And then also we see uh, that Jesus is the, the hero. There was interaction with the Father in his prayer. So let's read that again. He said, Now Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. So we see Jesus depicted as the Son of God. There's great intimacy here shown in when, when Jesus refers to him just as Father. I thank you that you heard me. I know you always hear me. That intimacy level, just in that little phrase, we can have a whole sermon on that. Like this preach on that. So we see the intimacy that first he is the Son of God. But also we see that he gives thanks thanks to the Father. It's a beautiful, beautiful intimacy shown. But then we also see the reason for the prayer is in the prayer. I don't say this out loud. I know you always hear me. But I say this so that people around may believe that I am the Son of God, that you have sent me. And that is his purpose. That is the reason why he is there. That's the reason why he wants the stone rolled away. That's the reason that he's walking and with them right now. That's the reason he's performing all these miracles and signs for them is so that they may believe that he is the Son of God and the Christ. So that may, they may profess with Martha in verse 27, like we see, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. That is the reason for the prayer. But... We also see that Jesus prays for the people's belief in him, and that is the call for us today. This is God's word. We see it. It's a sign. Today, we are called to believe. We are called to roll away the stone and know and, re- and see the glory of God. Know who is going into that gravesite. So that is, that is what we are to do. We are to believe that Jesus is the hero. And that, that's what makes us responsible to, uh, to a to this scripture right now. So maybe right now you're like, 
okay, like, what makes Jesus such a hero, you know? Like, why should I believe him? Um, and, like, why, 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 why is he angry? Why is he angry with the villain? Why is there a villain? Why is there a hero? Why should I believe that he is the hero? And that's what the next verses are for. In verses, in verses 43 and 44, we read that when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Here, the point of great interest is I can't describe it because everyone's weeping. Everyone knows what Jesus has done in the past. He's asked to roll away the stone. Martha says that. There's probably awkwardness. Like, oh no, Martha's, Martha's upset. They're crying. People are like, what is Jesus going to do? And they're just looking. I believe it's silent. They roll away the stone and it's silent. Jesus is looking into that gravesite. And all of a sudden, after, after Jesus prays, he looks and he yells out, Lazarus, come out. And what happens? Lazarus comes out. So we, what we see here is that Jesus, in his word, there is power. In his very words, there is power. I'm reminded when I read this, and that we should be too, is Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. When the Lord says to Ezekiel, prophesy my word over these bones. And when that, when that happens, when Ezekiel does that, when those bones hear the Lord's words, what happens? They assemble into skeletons, they are clothed in flesh, and they are given breath and life again. And here we see it depicted with Jesus. Jesus commands it. He wasn't told to prophesy over the words. It was Jesus' words, and the dead came to life. What we also see here is that, see how Jesus names Lazarus. I don't know if you guys noticed, in this passage alone, when Lazarus is referred to, it says Martha, the sister of the dead man. Then even after this, when Jesus says Lazarus come out, John makes it specifically clear and obvious that he doesn't, it's not about Lazarus. It says, the man who had died came out. And a matter of fact, if you want to see the next time Lazarus, uh, the, well, before this, last time Lazarus was mentioned, it was also by Jesus. It was, it, it, that was the last time he, it, he was mentioned. It was by Jesus' name. So what we see here is that in John 10, uh, what, what does Jesus uh, tell people? I am the great shepherd. I call my sheep by their name. And they listen and they come. This is a reaffirming of that. This is a depiction of that. He calls Lazarus by name when Martha, and John made sure that he didn't mention her, mention him by name. But Jesus does. So when Jesus, when Jesus' sheep hear his, their name called by him, they come. But the villain never had a chance in this battle scene that we see here between the, the villain and the hero. He never had a chance. The, the battle literally lasted how long, however long it took Jesus to say, Lazarus, come out. And the battle was ended. The battle ended. Let's turn to John 5. And then I'll read uh, like 
a little bit of 20, and then 24 and 25. And I want to, let's just see what we see. When, uh, this is Jesus speaking here. And let's just see what he says here. In, uh, in the second half of verse 20, we see, and greater works than these, by what he means by that is the healing at the pool on the Sabbath, what he just did, it's, it was the second, second sign, the second miracle that John mentions. And he says that greater works than these, this one, will he show him so that you may marvel. I'm pretty sure when Lazarus came out of that tomb, people were marveling. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. In verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Just like Lazarus. Just like Lazarus. He was dead, now he's alive. And then in verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Lazarus, dead, heard the voice of the Son of God, they live. And then Jesus is saying, the hour is coming. No, no, no. It's here. It is now here. And then Jesus shows us that in, in, right here in our passage today. He shows everyone that. It's a sign that what he just said is coming to pass. But remember, this is a sign of Jesus. The seventh sign, in, in fact, where, 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 how I opened up. And I want us to all to turn... I know we're turning everywhere now. But like verse, uh, I mean, uh, chapter 20. I want to read John's purpose. Read, read John's purpose for this book. John 20, verses 30 and 31. It says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You may have life in his name. Lazarus was shown to have life in the name of Jesus Christ. We are shown to have life in the name of Jesus Christ. This is the sign that, Jesus, that John is writing about that he wants us to get. So now we see... Oh. Yeah. Now that we see, so this battle scene between death and Jesus is given to show you and me what believing in Jesus as the Christ and the Son of God will do to us. He will give us life like he gave Lazarus life. He is the resurrection and the life. That's how he would give his life. He, we are promised, just like he promises when he says, I'm the resurre resurrection and the life, he will promise that though we, we, we're, we're going to live and though we die, we will still live. See how Paul describes it in Ephesians 2, 4 to 5. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But also hear this. Hear this. That it shows us that what believing in Jesus will do. But hear this. When Jesus calls Lazarus, two things are true. Lazarus was dead. He was dead, dead. He was dead, 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 dead. And two, Jesus called his name, and Lazarus came out. That, 
those two things are true. When Jesus calls the dead will rise. Lazarus was dead. What can a dead man do? I like to think of it like this. What if I had like a dead dude up here? Right here? He was just sitting there. And, I was, and his name was Billy. And I was like, Billy, your shoe's untied. That shoe's going to stay untied. Because he's dead. He's not going to tie it. And think about Lazarus. The only reason we know Lazarus, I bet like we can go out at our VBS, Vacation Bible School, and we can ask, you know the story about Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus? It's well known. It's, it's like a famous passage of the Bible. And how is Lazarus so famous? What, what do we honestly know about Lazarus other than, other than that he's the brother of Martha and Mary and he was the friend of Jesus. And then he died. That's the only thing we know. What, made, what makes him famous is what Jesus did to Lazarus is what made him famous. That's how we know who Lazarus is because what Jesus did to him. And it's the same here for our salvation. We can't do anything. We cannot do anything to help Jesus resurrect us. That sounds absurd in the sentence. I'm dead. I'm going to help you so I can live again. Billy, I, could, I couldn't start tying his shoes and Billy would like lean over and be like, yeah, thanks. That's how you do it. He can't, that's not how it works. And the same it is with our salvation. So this battle scene between the villain and the hero that we see here is a sign of your resurrection. It is a sign that points it points to Jesus yelling out your name. Individually, yelling out your name. And you coming out of the tomb. You being resurrected. And it's two things. Both spiritually and physically. Spiritually is when we believe upon, I believe what Martha believes and says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into this world. When you believe that, you are raised from death to life. Just like what we read in Ephesians 2, 4 to 5, what Paul says, we are raised from death to life. We are dead in our trespasses and sin, but Jesus has raised us back to life. And then physically as well, of our future glorification. We talked a little bit about it in Sunday school. We talked about our conscience, and our conscience is never going to be fully uh, uh, in line with God's will until we are glorified. And that won't happen. That won't happen until Christ comes again. And when Christ comes again, that second res resurrection, that physical resurrection, is when it's described in the First Thessalonians. Paul describes it as Jesus comes with command. The archangel comes with a shout of the voice and a trumpet blast. And what happens? The dead who were in Christ rise first. So physically, we're going to rise again. This body's failing. We die. But physically, we'll also be glorified and, and, and be able to uh, stand and have life in Jesus Christ. So with all that being said, I just want to conclude this message and just asking one, one question. And it's exactly what Jesus asked Martha after he said, I'm the resurrection and life. Whoever dies, whoever believes in me, though they die, they're going to live again. And he says, do you believe this? And that's what I want to ask you. That's what we have to ask ourselves when we read this. Do I believe this? You know, after Jesus raised Lazarus, and I know we're going to get into that next week, but here's a little spoiler. There's two responses. One, people believe. 
People believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Christ. Second one, they want to kill Jesus. So they want to believe or you want to kill. And that's the option you have here today. Today, God has spoken through his word and tells us that Jesus raises those who are dead in their trespasses and that he is the son of God sent into this world to defeat the power of death and sin, binding those oppressed by Satan. That's what God's word tells us here today. Will you believe and then see the glory of God in that? Or will you plan to continue to work with the villain and trying to mastermind some sort of plan to steal God's glory? If you refuse to believe, know that your attempts to steal God's glory are futile. The same it was with the villain's attempts to stop Lazarus from walking out of that grave. They're futile if you refuse to believe this. Your fellowship with Satan, sin, and this world will only end with defeat if you refuse to believe this. For Jesus is Lord now. Right now he is Lord. And will make all his enemies his footstool. The resurrection will come to those who do not believe as well. At the final day when Jesus comes again, he raises those who are in Christ first, but he raises those who are not in Christ second. But their resurrection leads to judgment. So repent and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's Christ, sent to this world. And if you believe here today, which I think most of us do, rejoice in your God. He's the life giver. Know that your faith and repentance is a greater miracle than Jesus raising Lazarus from the tomb. Because what was, what's a greater miracle? Jesus yelling out, Lazarus come out? Or Jesus dying and picking up his own life and walking out of that tomb. Because that's, that's how we are resurrected. That's how we come to faith and repentance. That's a greater miracle. And so just know that when we read this, and you're like, wow, that's awesome. Know that when you were changed, when you were brought from death to life, like we learned in Ephesians by Paul, that was a greater miracle than Lazarus. That's a greater miracle. And know that, know that you have to live yearning for that next resurrection for that glorification, for that body, bodily re resurrection. When we no longer deal with this sin, we no longer have the, that conflict that we touched at the beginning, and we no longer are moved with anger, but then now we are at peace and fellowship, face to face with the glory of God, who is Jesus Christ. So, and that resurrection, like the one for the unbelievers, is resurrection of judgment. This one is the resurrection of life. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you hear us. And I pray that we know that you hear us. We thank you for giving us faith to believe and, and to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for sending your son so that he, he may come down as the hero that defeats the villain. The ultimate war was ended on Calvary, but also it was the, the stamp of it was his ascension to you. That is victory. And now, right now, you make his, his enemies his footstool. So, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the people here today. I pray that it edifies the saints. And I pray that it saves sinners. But most importantly, I pray that it glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.